Would you please turn to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1. Now here in Mark chapter 1, just look at a couple of uh, verses. Go to verse 14. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, we're going to dissect this because it's very important leading to what we want to see at the end of this message. Now, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. All right, What's he talking about here? Well, the word time in this verse is the word kairos, and it means a season, a period of time, an appointed not time, a set time, a certain season. The word fulfilled is the Greek word pleru. It means perform fully, bring to a full end, accomplish, complete. Now this is very similar, leave, leave your marker here in uh, Mark 1. It's very similar to what we see over in Galatians chapter 4. Turn over there, I want you to see this. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now here, this word fullness, it's similar to the word plero in Mark 1.15. But it's the word pleroma, and they're, they're brothers, if you will, you know, in the Greek language. And it means fulfillment, fill, and completion. And then this word time, now this one's interesting because over in Mark 1.15, the word time is kairos, but here the word time is chronos. Now, this word chronos, in this passage, it means a period of time measured by the succession of objects and events. In other words, to try and simplify that, it means a starting point and an ending point. And, and it means when the fullness of time, or when the ending point of this period of time had come, it was signified by God sending forth His Son. Another way to say that would be, God sending forth His Son was the, uh, the chronos, or it was the revelation that a, a set period of time had come to an end. Now turn back over to uh, Mark chapter 1. So Jesus says, in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. So, all right, so then the question would be, what time is fulfilled? What's he talking about here? Uh, what is this uh, kairos, this season, this period of time? What is the chronos, the starting and the ending point? What is this that he's talking about? Well, again, leaving your marker in uh, Mark 1, look over in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, look what Jesus says in verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, 
but to fulfill. And that word fulfill, that's the word plero. And again, it means the, uh, the, to bring it to an end, to bring something to a conclusion. And he says, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, I came to fulfill. Or in other words, I came to bring the law to a conclusion. Which is what we saw over there in Galatians 4.4. 4. When the fullness of time was come, when, when, when the chronos for the law had come, God sent forth His Son. Or, God sent forth His Son, and when He did, that was a revelation that the chronos of the law had come. The end of it had come. Now, the fulfilled time that he's talking about back over here in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the fulfilled time is the time of the law which governed Israel. Now, you can see this again. Just leave that marker right there in, in Mark, Mark chapter 1. We're going to go back and forth. Turn to Luke chapter 16. And Jesus even makes reference to this. Luke chapter 16, in verse 16, Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And this is interesting because he's saying the law was preached until now. Alright, this is the chronos conclusion of the law. And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man has to press into it. Now, what he's saying there, and I don't know how many of the folks at that time who heard that caught on to it, but what he was saying is, Jews, hear me, you're not in the kingdom. Every man has to press into it. Every man. Why? Because we've reached the end of what was a temporary provision for this nation, the Jews, and now things are changing to where every man has to press into it. Not just the Jew, but also the Gentile. Well, if the time of the law is fulfilled, turn back over to Mark 1. If the time of the law is fulfilled, if the law that had been given to the Jews has reached the end of its chronos, the end of its set time, then what is taking its place? Well, we know what he, what he says here. The time in verse 15, Mark 1.15, he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this phrase, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, another way to state it would be the kingdom of God has arrived. In other words, the transition is, is here. The time of the law is over. It's chronos. It's, it has come to a conclusion. This is it. From this point on, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the kingdom of God has arrived on planet earth. Well, where is this kingdom? Well, in another place, Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus represented the kingdom of God. Jesus represents everything He did and what He taught and what He preached. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's teaching the kingdom of God. But His actions, His works, were also kingdom of God works. Now, I'm not going to go off in this direction, but if what He did represented kingdom of God works, 
healing, deliverance, devils cast out, and all this other. Then if we press into the kingdom, should we not also be included in the performing of the works of the kingdom? Why, absolutely. And over in John 14, don't have to turn to it, but that's what Jesus said. You believe in me, the works that I do, you shall do also. So therefore, once we press into the kingdom, we have the potential to do the works of the kingdom. Now, whether we do it or not, that's up to us. But kingdom works are kingdom works. That's just the way it is. And so if you press into the kingdom, you now have the opportunity, the potential to do kingdom works. The law had a beginning and an end. What was the beginning? (laughs) When God gave it to Moses, when he was on Mount Sinai, God said, okay, Moses, here it is. Here's the law. First off, Ten Commandments. This one's going to last all the way to the end because it's a revelation of my nature and character. Thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that. Yeah, okay, when we're born again, you still, thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, you understand that, right? That stuff didn't pass away. But along with that were all the ordinances and the feasts and the festivals, all that kind of stuff. So, that was the starting point for the law. The ending point for all of those works, the feasts, the festivals, the animal sacrifices, the grain offerings, I mean, the list goes on and on. That came to a conclusion with Jesus. He said, I didn't come to destroy, I came to fulfill. So in Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that had been recorded relative to the law that God gave to the Jews through Moses. So the law itself had a beginning and an end. However, the kingdom of God has no end. And you don't have to turn to this, but Luke chapter 1, verse 33, when the angel is talking, uh, this prior to Jesus' birth, and it says, of His kingdom there shall be no end. Of His kingdom. So that means that once the kingdom of God arrived, that's it. I mean, it does not end. So everything relative to the kingdom is going to be a standard or a rule or a regulation from here on out. But now here in Mark 1.15... Notice he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So here we see the contrast. The time of the law is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning, okay, for you Jews, you've been living under the law all this time. But the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent ye and believe the gospel. So now we see this and it's like, oh yeah, you know, those, those Jews, those bunch of sinners, they gotta repent. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about repenting from sin. See, under the law, if you committed a sin, you could read the law and say, okay, the law says since I did that thing right there, then I gotta kill this thing right here. And once you killed that animal and shed that animal's blood, that sin was forgiven. And God wasn't going to come at you again and say, Ah, now wait a minute. I know that I told you that if you killed this animal here, I'd forgive you for that sin. I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that today. You know, I, I'm kind of upset with you. <laughs> in fact, I'm just not in a good mood. The whole bunch of you down there upset me. Couldn't sleep last night. <laughs> so when he says repent, that's a blanket statement to all of them. So it, It is not repent from sin. Well, repent from what then? All right, look. 
The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Okay, what gospel? Verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom. Repent ye. So if I'm supposed to repent from something, and in place of that something I repent of, believe the gospel, then what is the something I'm repenting from? The law. In other words, he's saying, change your thought process from believing that the law is your guarantee that you're in the kingdom. Repent from that and believe the gospel of the kingdom. Well, he was the only one teaching the gospel of the kingdom at that time. Now, if you look over in John chapter 3, because again, the question comes up, okay, well, what is the gospel of the kingdom? You tell me to, uh, to repent from believing the law and living that way. Then you tell me that I'm supposed to believe the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Well, what is the gospel of the kingdom? Well, first off, we see a revelation of it in John chapter 3. Now, this is, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, four gospels. There's kingdom revelation in all, all four gospels. But here, we see like a starting point. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus has come to Jesus and he says, Look, uh, we know nobody can do these miracles that you're doing unless God is with him. And Jesus says in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Alright? This obviously has to be a part of the gospel of the kingdom. And Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, natural birth, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit of spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So now we see that believing the gospel of the kingdom requires us to be born again so that we can enter into the kingdom of God. Well, then the next question is this. How do I be born again? I mean, I kind of like what I'm hearing, so how can I be born again? This is answered in verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So then, the very beginning point of the gospel of the kingdom is this right here. I must be born again, and the way that I'm born again is to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I've shared before that this word believe isn't simply a matter of acknowledging who He is. It is hearing everything He says and accepting it as truth and then acting on it as truth. Now, look over in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, in verse 39, Jesus says, Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. This is part of the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, he's saying, you can put all the faith you want into all of what God gave the Jews that you call the law. And the law of the prophets and all. You think that because you are a possessor 
as Jews, a possessor of the Law and the Prophets, the Scriptures, you think that's what guarantees you heaven. He says, no, you don't understand. Search the Scriptures because they give a prophetic revelation of Me that I am coming to give you life. And in spite of that, you will not come to Me to receive this life. So then what happens if we do not go to Him to receive life? Well, we're not in the kingdom of God. We're locked out, if you will. Because the only way to get in is to believe in Jesus Christ. To believe who He is, what He did, what He said. That's the only way. Now, along with the born-again experience, that's the entry point. The gospel of the kingdom includes a new priesthood. It includes a better covenant with better promises. It includes um, healing. It includes, I mean, everything that we know about, everything we read about in the New Testament and prophesied in the Old. The gospel of the kingdom is all of that, but it starts with, ye must be born again. It starts with accepting the revelation of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior, He is the Messiah, He is the Christ, He is the only way to get into the kingdom of God and have eternal life through Him. That's it. You cannot have God's life unless you do this. Now, believing the gospel of the kingdom results in a John chapter 3 experience for the individual. What is that experience? It's being born again. So I hear the gospel and the healings and all this that's included with it, which, by the way, the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom includes being filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's a part of the gospel of the kingdom. So then, I hear the part of you've got to believe in Jesus Christ. First of all, you've got to be born again. That's how you get into the kingdom. So when I hear the gospel of the kingdom and I believe it, the first thing that I have to do is accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's the only way to get into the kingdom. So believing the gospel leads me to having a John chapter 3 experience in my life. Now, what does a John chapter 3 experience do for me? It takes me all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Go back here. Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So, what we see then is that God created humanity in his image, in his likeness. There is no sin in God. There is no sin nature in God. There is no flaw in God. There's no fear. There's no depression. There's no anything that we associate with life in a fallen world. God created man in absolute perfection. No flaws in any way, shape, or form. The truth is, when He created Adam and then 
from Adam created Eve, do you realize they would not have had bad breath? And you think, well, that's the dumbest thing. No, no, wait a minute. No. What is bad breath? It's a buildup of bacteria in your mouth. Now, that means you've got stuff rotting in your mouth. <laughs> so, okay, Brother Martin, move on here. Move on, move on. And the reason it's rotting is because it's death. Now, that means that when you wake up in the morning, you have death breath. <laughs> okay, move on, move on. Um, he wouldn't have, do you understand what I mean? Absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. Well then, if you look in chapter 2 of Genesis, in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Genesis chapter 3. We know what's going on here. The serpent. Verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Same words that God used. So somebody else was listening while God gave those instructions to Adam about eating from that tree. He says, Ye shall not surely die. Well, we know what happened, don't we? Eve ate. Adam ate. And God said, in the day that you eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Well, they didn't die right then. Because if you turn over to Genesis chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. That right there is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And he died. See, spiritually he died, and that set in motion the decay of the human body. And eventually, it says here, you know, 930 years later, he died. He died physically. That was it. Over and done with. Now, here's what's interesting. The same thing is happening today. Same thing in the body of Christ. You see, God says, the moment you have a John 3 or the moment you believe the gospel and have a John chapter 3 experience, your spiritual life has your, your previous spiritual life, your lost spiritual life has been removed. And I have put in you my original declaration in Genesis chapter 1 that you would exist in my image, in my likeness. However, you need to understand... Just like I told Adam, you can't eat from that one tree. I am telling you, you cannot have a lifestyle of adultery. I'm telling you, you cannot incorporate in your worship unto me any other God that is out there. There is no blending and all paths do not lead to me. I am telling you that you cannot live in a way that supports, well, you can't even be involved with men and men, women and women. You can't do that. I forbid it. And you cannot support or be in agreement with people who believe in these things, who um, 
who impose the murder of unborn children. You, you can't. Now, I'm telling you, God, I'm telling you, you can't do those things. You cannot incorporate any of this in your life. Because if you do, you shall surely die. Well, Brother Martin, I'm not, I don't know about that. Okay, I've got a teaching series entitled, Is My Eternity Secure? You can download it from the internet. I forget, 16 sermons or whatever it is. It's, it's free. You can download it from the internet. And there are things, see, God said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just, uh, hope that you remember all this. I'm gonna put it in writing. And I'm gonna give it to you. And along with that, you better watch out which version of this you read. I, I'm not going to say where it came from. I read something the other day and I thought, that is not the best way to present this particular verse because it's far deeper than what has been written here because what's been written here is almost kind of ambiguous. Now, I'm not going to get into all that, but you better be careful what you read here. Because people who don't understand, they will reinterpret what's been written according to their limited understanding and what they think it ought to say. And they'll, at times, if they see something that they don't agree with, I mean, they'll leave things out. I've taught on that too. <laughs> now, turn over to John chapter 11. See, this is going on today. God says, you cannot eat of the tree of adultery. You can't do it. Because in the day that you do, you shall surely die. What I mean by eat from the tree of adultery, I understand there are people that they make a wrong choice. But when it becomes more than just a wrong choice, when it somebody once told me and things like that, once a mis, is a mistake, twice is a habit. If you begin incorporating these things, and that would include like just stuff we've gone over again and again that I'm not going over tonight, because if you don't understand it by now, I don't know what else to tell you. There are so many sermons where I've broken down these things in the New Testament, giving you the Greek words, explain what they mean. And see, my belief is you listen. <laughs> That's my belief. Nevertheless, John chapter 11. Now look at this. In verse... Okay, what's happened in John chapter 11? Lazarus dies. And Jesus shows up, and we know the story. Lazarus, he's in the tomb, and the stone is in front of the, the tomb. And, and Jesus says, roll the stone away. And, uh, you know, Martha says, yeah, but, you know, by now he stinketh. And he says, Martha, come on, you know, trust me in this. Roll the stone away, so Lazarus, come forth! So here comes Lazarus, hop, 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 you know, because he's wound up in the grave clothes. <laughs> what a sight. <laughs> anyway, if you look in verse 47, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. That's the goal! Yeah, yeah! <laughs> They're acknowledging that people will believe on Him. He says, all men will believe on Him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. I don't know where they came up with that. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest, that same year he begins prophesying 
essentially, don't worry, we're going to take care of this guy. We're going to kill him. But if you look in verse 57, it says, Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he, Jesus, were, he should show it, that they might take him. They had already just said, he does many miracles. They just said that. He does many miracles. They knew it. They knew it. And yet, (laughs) they hardened their heart. Look over in Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Now Jesus has been crucified. He is risen from the dead. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. See that? The keepers. Those are the people that were there guarding the tomb. Jump to verse 11. Now, when they were going, the people that visited the tomb, they're going back to tell the rest of the apostles, uh, Jesus is alive. It says, now when they were going, behold, some of the watch, the keepers, came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, See ye, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Okay, now, verse 2. Angel from heaven descended, rolled the stone away, and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, raiment white as snow. And the keeper saw this. Okay, you understand that? Those guards saw this angel. They saw it. And they go back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said, okay, you know that guy that you had killed? The other day. Alright, um, a weird thing happened. <laughs> I remember hearing you guys talk about he said he was going to rise from the dead, so on and so forth. And uh, uh, that happened. <laughs> and can you see those chief priests and Pharisees? What do you mean that happened? Alright, well here's, here's what took place. We're guarding. And as you know, Roman soldiers do not sleep on the job or they get executed. We're guarding. And all of a sudden, the earth shakes, an angel shows up and pushes the stone back. Or He might not even have pushed it. He might have just went like this. And that stone rolls away. Then he climbed on top of it and sat there. And he was glowing and he was... These guys were witnesses. Gentiles were witnesses of His resurrection. And they told the chief priests, religious leaders, Pharisees, exactly what happened, which is exactly what the chief priests, Pharisees, had been told would happen before they crucified Jesus. And in spite of the fact that, well, now it's not just a bunch of His followers, now... It's highly trained Roman soldiers telling us this. We still don't want to believe it. Tell you what. Here, take a big chunk of money. And if anybody asks you, you say that his disciples uh, came and stole the body 
while you slept. Now, I'm sure these Roman soldiers are thinking, wait a second. You want us to tell people we slept through a band of merry soldiers or, or followers pushing that big heavy stone away and the noise never woke us up? That's what you want us to say. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You got it. You got it. Okay, you do realize we're going to have to report to our superiors. And those religious leaders says, don't worry. We'll pay them off too. You'll be okay. That's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. There's a big payoff. Their hearts were hardened. They knew Jesus was no longer in that grave. They knew it. But now look over in Acts chapter 3. Well, yeah, Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, this starts out, healing of the lame man. Silver and gold have I none, and such as I have, give I thee the man lame from uh, uh, birth. And he jumps up, leaps, goes into the temple, so on and so forth. And all these people that were there, they come running. And Peter says, hey, folks, we didn't do this by our own power. And he starts preaching, Jesus, and the power of the name of Jesus. and That's how this man was healed, so on and so forth. Well, the religious leaders, they got all upset about it. And they grabbed Peter and John and uh, brought them on trial. And if you pick it up in chapter 4, uh, let's just say verse 10. They said, how in the world did you do this? How did this guy get healed? Peter says, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Now, you know what? When he said that, I'll bet you some of those guys were there. And they knew. They knew. Yeah, we remember. Soldiers told us. Whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So what'd they do? Said, fellas, you're right. Jesus is Lord. Let's, let's have revival. Nope. It says, verse 15, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no more no to no man in this name. How how much more harder does your heart have to be? The evidence is in front of them. It's continuing. You know, you gotta think. And when Jesus is dead, these religious leaders are thinking, boy, are we glad that's over. Days later, here we go again. More miracles, more signs, more wonders, more problems, more threats to our grip on the lives of the people. Now look over in Acts chapter 5. 
It says in verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles, not just Peter and John, the apostles, were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Verse 17, And when the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, was it just Peter and John? It's more than just Peter and John. And in verse 34, what's happened is this. Peter stands up and the apostles are with him and they're saying, look, here's what's going on. You know, we've got to preach what God told us to preach, not what you tell us not to preach. Okay, we've got to preach what God told us to do here. Well, in verse 34, um, okay, in verse 33, it says, When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people. The Apostle Paul studied at Gamaliel's school. History tells us that Gamaliel was one of the most influential Jewish leaders of this time ever. Well, he had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, the other members that were the council that were there, he said, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thaddeus, uh, Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, Refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply you be found even to fight against God. Now look at verse 40. And to him they agreed. Stop. To him they agreed. Now what did he tell them to do? Refrain from these men and let them alone. Right? And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Wait a second. You just agreed with this guy to leave him alone. He says, hey, if this is of God, you know, you're going to be fighting against God. If it's of man, don't worry. It'll fade away. They said, yeah, yeah, that makes sense to us. Yeah, amen. All right, bring him in. <laughs> I can just imagine Gamaliel standing the thinking, oh boy, I, who are these guys? He gave them wise counsel. And they agreed to it. But their hearts are so hardened that they went ahead and did what they wanted to anyway. Now, this happened over and over again in the life of Jesus. It happened over and over again with the life of the apostles. These religious leaders, people who are witnesses of things, people who knew things, people who heard things, they had hardened their hearts so much that it didn't matter to them. They believed what they wanted to believe, and that was the end of it. Don't mess with us anymore. Now, believing the gospel of the kingdom is believing all of what God 
said in the Bible pertaining to holiness and sin. Believing the gospel of the kingdom. So if God says, this is forbidden, then you don't do it. When He, when he says, you know, we read these, and we're not going to go back to it, but in the New Testament, we, get, we have these warnings from Paul and, you know, even some things from James and all this, Peter, you know, be holy as I am holy. But we read these things about, you know, well, don't be committing adultery. He said, yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't be committing adultery. Drunkenness. Okay, yeah, you know, I ain't touching this stuff, you know. But then it gets into this other stuff like being a habitual liar. Being a cheater, a, a consistent cheater in business. And he says, if you live this way, guess what? You don't inherit the kingdom of God. And that's a warning to Christians. Look, I'm telling you now, there are a bunch of Christians out there, they truly put their faith in Jesus Christ to be born again. But now, they're living in a way that is completely contrary to the gospel of the kingdom. It's not simply the gospel of born again. It's the gospel of the kingdom. When Jesus says, if somebody does you wrong, pray for them. But yet, how many of us have, you know, boy, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I, I hope that politician drops dead. I'm sorry, you can't, maybe I'm not sorry, <laughs> you can't do that. Because see, when you start acting like that, believing like that, talking like that, behaving in that in ways like that, you're hardening your heart just like those religious leaders. You're doing the same thing. Believing the gospel of the kingdom is knowing that you cannot support those who do those things God says don't do. And we don't have to go into a whole lot of detail. See, you'll be just like the Jews who supported the building of the golden calf. Even if you don't bow down to it. All you have to do is support it. And if you support it, basically what you're doing is saying, Hey, it's okay. You know, well, I know we all go to the same church. And I'm not going to be doing that kind of stuff. But hey, look, you know what? God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. We've got to live in grace and extend grace. So if that's how you choose to live, you know, I mean, that's between you and God. But I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I mean, that's okay. No, that is supporting that stuff. And God says we're supposed to confront it. And we're afraid that we're going to hear, judge not, lest you be judged. Judge. Listen, next time somebody says that to you, ask them where they found it in Scripture. Just ask them. Uh, don't, don't you judge me. Judge not, let's be judged. Uh, judge not, let's be judged. Uh. <laughs> Next time you hear that, seriously, ask them, could you help me find that in Scripture? And if they do happen to know where it is, say, oh, would you look at that? There are some more verses. <laughs> well, let's see what the rest of these verses say. Oh... It says with the same judgment that you use to judge others, that's the judgment you'll be used to judge with. And besides that, do you know what that word judge means? Do you know what that means? Well, yeah, it means you can't judge me. No, wait, hold on, hold on. God says it's wrong. Well, you interpret it your way. And I'll interpret it mine. You're not supposed to have anything to do with people like that. Oh, yeah, boy, I wasn't going to say that.
Okay. Um, I wasn't going to say this. But he just reminded me. At what point... Glory to God. Don't get offended at me, okay? Please. At what point does a backslidden child... No. At what point does a child become a backslider as described in Scripture? At what point? You see, I hadn't thought about that until the other day. God began dealing with me about it. Children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward, not yours. Every time a baby is born, that's supposed to be a blessing unto God. When a child accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then decides to be a prodigal, God's given us an instruction in Scripture about dealing with that situation. And if you continue to read in Scripture, in the rest of the New Testament, where it says things like, come out from among them, when it says things like, have no fellowship with them, do not even eat with them, At what point are we willing to draw the line on that? It's one thing to have a child born again and says, I don't believe that stuff anymore. You know, I don't even want to be a Christian anymore. I don't believe it. I don't believe God. I, you know, I just, you know, they, and they just go off on all that. But when you've got somebody who continues to say, oh yeah, I'm, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm born again. I'm washed in the blood. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And they're backslidden as described in Scripture. God in His Word has said, you do not have fellowship with them. But what we do, I'm just passing along to you what He dealt with me about here, okay? If you've got issues with this, you take it up with Him. But there comes a point in time where we have to recognize that child, not as our child, but as a human being accountable unto God. And if God says no fellowship, because see, there are some parents of children who profess Christ, yet those children are severely prodigal. And the parents continue to enable the behavior by acting like nothing's wrong. Jesus never said, Life was going to be easy as a Christian. But he did say, believe the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom does not end in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus told the apostles, I have much more to say unto you, but right now you're not able to bear it. However, when the Holy Spirit has come, 
he will pick up where I left off and continue delivering unto you what he hears from me, the gospel of the kingdom. See, what I just shared here the last few minutes, I don't even have that in my notes anywhere. God just dealt with me about it the other day. And I'm standing here and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. So somebody needs to hear this. I don't know who, but somebody needs to hear it. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, that father never left home. And until that son came to himself, that father was willing to let that son starve to death. Brother Martin, that's harsh. I can't handle it. Like I said, guys, don't get upset with me. What I want you to do is find something in Scripture that tells me we make an exception for those we brought into the world. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry if you're offended by that. But Jesus said, you've got to love me more than your own family. And if you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find out that Jesus had brothers that made fun of him, they mocked him, and did not believe in him. After he was raised from the dead, we know that James and Judas, or Jude, believed. I don't know about the rest of the brothers. I don't know about the sisters. I don't know. I hope they did. See... Believing the gospel of the kingdom, it includes believing what's written in here. Please, please don't be mad at me. Please don't. Please. If you're feeling anger rise up, go to God over it, okay? Go to God over it. But, I'm just telling you what Scripture says. And God doesn't make any exceptions in His Word. It's not in here. So, but, but I'll push them away. I don't think you understand. They pushed themselves away a while back. They're gone. In fact, when you read over there where Jesus talks about, you know, if your brother offends you, you go to him, here's what you did. And if he tells you, you know, ah, go jump in the lake. Well, then you get a couple of witnesses. And if he says, ah, the bunch of you go jump in the lake. And then Jesus says, you warn the church about that person. And then you treat that person as an infidel. What that means is, you count that person as having walked away from God. And that's how you intercede. That's how you pray. But believing the gospel of the kingdom also includes that we accept what's written in Scripture concerning kingdom maturity and how we get to that place of kingdom maturity. Scripture, you know, in essence, prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. And the, the message of this, this is what God is, where we've, we're leading to here right now. Beware, you do not harden your heart to the fullness of the kingdom gospel. 
Beware you don't. Now I know that the last ten minutes have been rather uncomfortable. And it's very possible some people in a response to that would say, okay, well then since you've got all the answers, you know, why don't you tell me then what am I supposed to do? Tell me how I'm supposed to handle this. Tell me how I'm supposed to respond. Tell me what I... You tell me. I mean, you're the one that said it. You're up there at the pulpit. You said it. You tell me. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Here's your answer. It's in this book. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's in this book. And I'm telling you right now, if you get in this book and you're willing to accept it, believe the gospel of the kingdom, you're going to know what to do. And God's going to give you the wisdom on how to handle it. It's not just children, man. You, they're, they're Christians out there. They've got prodigal parents. you got prodigal aunts and uncles. I mean, it's out there. And, um, you know, it's hard at times. I mean, it is. Emotionally. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's not just about believing God for the finances to complete what He's called you to do here on earth. That's everything. That is everything. And I'll just, I just, I'll be honest with you, you know, all the, the parents and children of, of prodigal family members could line up one, on, one at a time, come to me and say, well, here's what's going on, now what do I do? I, I don't know what to tell you for every situation. I seriously don't. And you know, it's so easy to just tell people, well, you know, pray about it. But the truth is, what other answer is there? Get in the Word of God and pray about it. I know. It's tough. I know. Been through some of it. Kathy and I have been through some of this. It's not easy. But, if you love Jesus more than your family, then you can come to those hard decisions. But here's the thing. Jesus has given us peace. And there's a peace that passes all understanding. That will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You cannot let yourself get so caught up in what your best friend is doing. You can't fix people. You can't. Not even God can fix anybody unless they believe the Gospel of the Kingdom. Over in John, 1 John, we won't go through that tonight. We've gone through it before. But in that first chapter of, of 1 John, it talks about, you know, <laughs> and it's written to Christians. I'm going to paraphrase. You can say that the things that you're doing really aren't that bad. But if you're walking in that darkness, then you're not walking in the light of your salvation. However, if you make a decision to admit to it, and then you confess your sin to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
So no matter what you do, no matter what I do, until that person comes to that place of being willing to admit to it, admit the sin, that it is sin. It's not, it, it's not enough to say, well, I've done wrong. Okay, what does that mean? No. Have you sinned? Are you, are, you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. I made a mistake. No. You have to come to the place of acknowledging it as sin. And when you do, and you repent, you confess it, then God says, I am standing here with the blood of Jesus to cleanse you. And I will forgive you for everything. And just like the father of the prodigal son, I will restore you in fullness unto me. They've got to come to that place. And we can't make them. But boy, can we ever pray. Praise God. So again, you know, if you're here, if you're watching, please, you know, don't be mad at me. Get into the Word and pray. And be willing to submit to the Lordship of God in situations like this. Beware that you do not harden your heart to the fullness of the Gospel of the Kingdom. Well, go ahead and stand.